Well, we're going to be in the Gospel of uh, Matthew, uh, chapter 13 today. Uh, we're going to read some other scriptures first, but if you want to turn there, if you've got a physical Bible. If you're taking notes, this, this first part I'm going to move rather quickly through. Uh, I need to kind of set a foundation for what I want to preach on, so I've only got 30 minutes, right? I should probably actually have less than that at this point. So I need to set a foundation, then get to the message. So um, if you want, if the scriptures go by too quick and, and you want these scriptures later, you, if you just text me or email me or whatever you want to talk to me, I'd be happy to send them out to you. But I want to talk today about what God has to say, specifically what Jesus has to say about good and evil in the world. And I'm sure as a Christian you've wondered, why is evil allowed in the world? What is its purpose? What is it doing there? Why doesn't God do something? Has anyone ever wondered those kind of things before? Yeah, of course, right? You don't have to be on the earth very long to say, hey, this is wrong. <laughs> There's something fundamentally broken about our world. And Jesus shows up and he actually talks about it in the parables. So we want to get to that. But we have to understand a little bit about Jesus and understand about his mission. Of course, being a Christian church, you're all familiar with Jesus, and we've all heard different things about him. Some of us have been in church for a long time and have read the Bible several times, and, and some of us are new Christians, and we, we know very little. So I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest rundown of what Jesus was all about. When he came to the earth, he had one mission, and that was to proclaim what he calls the gospel. Now, when I say the word gospel, this a lot of things come to your mind, Right? In 2020, I'm sure what comes to your mind is the death, burial, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Am I not wrong in saying that? That's what you think of the gospel. But you know, that's incomplete. That's not... Jesus proclaimed the gospel, but he was not proclaiming his death. He called it the gospel of the kingdom. Now, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of the good news for us. But it's only one part of the gospel. The gospel is called the gospel of the kingdom. Now, if you were with us a year or two ago, we actually did a whole series on the kingdom of God. But to make it short, the word kingdom means the king has a domain, right? That means we belong to a different domain. We belong to the domain of a king. Now, if you're taking notes, you can mark this down. In Mark 1, 14 and 15, it says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So Jesus preached the gospel, but he wasn't dead yet. Matter of fact, nobody knew he was going to die yet, right? This was the big secret that God revealed to Peter when he says, you are the Christ, right? And Jesus said, I, you know, I'm going to die. In three days, I'm going to raise up. And everyone's like, no, it can't be, right? So nobody really knew about this. But yet he proclaimed the gospel. The time is fulfilled, he says in verse 15. And the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus was commanding people to repent and believe the gospel, and yet he was not dead. Matthew 4.23 it says, And Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sicknesses and all manner of disease among the people. If you want to know what Jesus did on a day-to-day -day basis, he preached the gospel of the kingdom, he healed diseases among the people. Awesome, right? So if you ever go to a Bible study, it says, what did Jesus, what does an average day of Jesus look like? What did he do? He preached the gospel, and he healed the diseases. He healed the afflictions of the people. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first, what? The kingdom of God. Do you know what you're seeking? This is the gospel, friends. I want to explain to you the gospel is actually the gospel of the kingdom. It is so much more 
than the death of our Savior and the resurrection. It's an actual kingdom that has been delivered to us. It says, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I told you I'm going to move quickly, but we've got to point to this. Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. If you think somehow the gospel message has changed because Jesus Christ has died, you are incorrect. Because Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to all the nations, and then the end will come. The gospel we should be proclaiming is the gospel of the kingdom. Now don't answer me out loud. Do you know what the gospel of the kingdom is? Again, most people say it's the death of our Savior and the resurrection. But that's not all of it. Jesus, when he taught us to pray in Matthew 6, 8 through 13, he says, Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For what? Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I hate to say it, but Jesus was obsessed with the kingdom. Wouldn't you say? Can you think of any other times? You just go and do a study on whenever you see the word kingdom in the Bible. So in layman's term, I told him to give you the Reader's Digest version now. The kingdom, in its simplest terms, is the new creation or the world as God intends it to be. We have a king and a new way of living and a new reality where there's healing and blessing, right? The curse is removed. This is the kingdom, the new creation, the world as God intends it to be. Now, the old creation is full of sin and dysfunction and it's broken. Now, my lovely daughter, Hannah, if you come over here. There's one other volunteer that wanted to help hold up my post. That wanted to hold up this poster that we made. Somebody else want to come over here and help me hold this? Yes, sir. Jacob. Give Jacob a hand. Isn't he lovely, too? Okay. Watch me work the mic here at the game show contestant. Okay. What we have here is we have old creation. Over here we have what? The new creation. The new creation is the world as God intends it to be. The old creation is full of sin. It's, it's, it's full of dysfunction and it's broken. Right? That's where God found us at, right? We were born into this old creation. We get saved. We enter the kingdom. But what happens is we actually live in that red square right there. That's where we live. We live at the intersection of a broken world and a new creation, the kingdom of God. When Jesus showed up, he says, repent and believe the gospel of the kingdom. Believe that the new way of doing things is here. Does that make sense? Can you flash the poster this way to the good people that are sitting on this side of our sanctuary in the parking lot? We live here. We live in a broken world, in a world that also offers healing. All right, thank you very much. You can roll it back up. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Does that make sense? I, I wanted to draw it out because if you could get the picture of what's happening is, I told you at the beginning we want to talk about why, what's the plan with evil in the world and goodness in the world and what does God think about everything. In the last couple of weeks, Trace has been preaching on this, this idea of how we have to change, right? Like that 
the change of praying for our enemies and, and losing the old self, right? Being uncomfortable because we have to do things differently. What he was preaching on was how do we live in the kingdom, right? He didn't use those words. These are my, my words, and we want to talk about what this looks like. How do we live in the kingdom yet physically live in a broken world at the same time? Again, it's, I want to repeat this. We live in a world where brokenness and healing live together, right? How can we live in a place that's so broken yet so beautiful? Have you thought about that? Sometimes the world is the most ugly place, full of hatred. And then there's other times you look and it's like, man, the world is so full of good people and beautiful places and it's so loving. How can both of these images exist in our mind? Well, it's because we live at the overlap of two kingdoms. When Jesus showed up, was the inauguration of the kingdom. You know why they hung him on the cross? Now, we know why he, he, died. he really went to the cross. But they said he was, he was a king, right? They put above him the king of the Jews, right? And the Jews cried out, we have no king but who? Caesar. But Caesar, right? They killed him because, oh, he's trying to take over the Roman government, right? They did everything they could to set this guy up, right? But we do. He was a king, right? And because of that, the kingdom was here. Well, that's the gospel of the kingdom. Now, Hebrews 12.25 we haven't got to the message yet. I'm just setting up for how I want you to think about the message. Hebrews 12:25 says this through 29. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape him who, uh, sorry, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of the things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now here's the kicker in verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. It uses the words that we're receiving a kingdom. So Jesus says, repent, the kingdom is here. Hebrews says, we're still receiving that kingdom. Those two squares eventually will completely overlap each other, right? We live at the intersection now. The kingdom is still advancing. The gospel of the kingdom is still going out to all nations. And one day God will speak and everything will shake and everything that is not of the kingdom will be dissolved. And the only thing left will be the kingdom of our God. Amen? Amen. That's what that looks like. So now when we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom... The kingdom marches forward. Amen? Amen. Okay. Now, with that being said, hopefully you're seeing what the kingdom of God is. There's a lot to say on this, but I want to read a parable. So this is where it found in Matthew 13, 24. Let's go over to the parable. parable of the wheat and the tares. Another parable he put forth to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. So what is this parable about? It's about the kingdom of heaven, right? The subject matters, the kingdom. He's trying to say, how do I how do I explain to you what is happening right now? Well, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. But while the men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servant of the owner came and said to them, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? 
Tares is another word for weeds, right? How does, it, how does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the, until the harvest. And at that time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them and gather the wheat to my barn. Okay. This is going to be exciting. I'm excited. Are you excited? Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. Three people. Wonderful. So what we have here, Jesus is trying to explain what's happening with the kingdom, right? So the gospel of the kingdom is going forth. It behooves us to really find out, well, what is this kingdom? And Jesus wants to explain something about this kingdom to us. He says, hey, somebody went out to sow some good seed, right? I want to grow some wheat. And now... After the wheat starts growing, everybody notices there's some weed, weed, weeds. <laughs> that was not a Freudian slip. It wasn't even meant to be funny. Some weeds were there, or tares. Now, the master, which is Jesus here, says, don't cut down the tares yet. Let them grow together. In your bulletin, I put a picture of what, it's called Darnell, what actually the, uh, the weeds look like. And they look an awfully lot like wheat. The untrained eye, they may actually look the same to you. You can look at the bulletin or you can look it up later. But these things are indistinguishable from each other. So the first thing we learn about the kingdom is we're not to uproot weeds, but we are to grow what? Wheat, right? If you want to know what the church's primary job in the kingdom is, is is to grow wheat, which we're going to find Jesus actually translate this parable for us. We're in the business of growing wheat and not of uprooting wheat weeds. Now, where did the weeds come from? The Bible says in verse 28, an enemy has done this. Right? Again, later on, we're going to read in the chapter, but actually, Jesus says Satan has done it. He translates the parable for us and said Satan is the enemy in this parable. In the parable, the one who's sowing it is actually the son of man, which is who? Jesus. Jesus is the one sowing, and the, and the seed the Bible says that actually the good seed is those are the children of the kingdom and the terrors are the children of the evil one. Now, before you get ahead of yourself and you congratulate yourself on being a beautiful piece of wheat, did you start off as wheat in the kingdom of God? No. Unfortunately, all of us were what? We were the weeds. Aren't you glad somebody didn't come and chop you down? Yeah, think about the kingdom right now. Right. So the servants in this parable are looking and they're saying, whoa, whoa, hold on. You're sowing wheat, but look at all these ugly weeds popping up here. Let's cut them down. What does God say? Ixnay, right? No, do not cut the weeds down. Let them grow together till it's harvest time. Now we have to talk a little bit about evil here. Because the enemy has done this. That means Jesus in the kingdom acknowledges that even though we live in the present reality of the kingdom, we still have an enemy. Just because you've surrendered your life to Jesus... Does that mean your life is going to be rosy and hunky-dory and wonderful? You have an active enemy that is working against you. Unfortunately, it's an unseen enemy, so sometimes you can't even see his hand. Because if you look at the picture of the, the tares and the wheat, they look the same. Sometimes we don't know who our enemy is and who our true brother is. Amen? But luckily, Jesus tells us that we love who? We love our enemies the same as our brother. We treat everybody the same. These are kingdom principles here. Now, Timothy Mackey uh, says this, evil is not just a sum total of horrible things that we do or think about. There are unseen forces at work that oppose the kingdom. Right? 
Evil is just so much more than the things you and I have done, the sins we've done. It's an actual physical force. It's a real reality. Jesus here says, Satan has done this. Right? If you do not believe in a real enemy, and that's part of his plan, right? But there is an unseen force here that is working against the kingdom. If you think that Satan and his enemies really care about you, you're wrong. They hate the kingdom. Once you're in the kingdom, now by default, how do they attack God? Us. Where's the kingdom of God? In us. Is it this world's governments? Is it this world that's God's kingdom? No. The Bible says that belongs to Satan already. Did you know that? The Bible calls him the God of this world. If you can picture that image I just showed you, the old creation, that old creation has a king, and his name is Satan. The Bible says the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. When you and I were brought into this world, and before we knew Jesus, that was who our Lord was, by default. We had no choice in the matter. We're subject, the Bible says, to sin and to death, right? And once we accept the gospel, the Bible says, we become new creations. Have you ever heard the parable of the, the wineskins with the old skin and new wine? Because this old body can't belong into this new creation, right? We need to be changed from the inside out to fit this kingdom model. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us too much about evil, believe it or not. There's some stories we can put things together. I love to, to prognosticate about it and to talk about it with you, but the, 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 the whole purpose of the Bible is not to really tell us the origin of evil and give us the whole story, right? We, we have a little bit of a story. We, we know about a fallen angel, and we know some things from the Bible. But the point of the Bible is not to tell us this. But the point of the Bible is to tell us what God is doing about it. Amen? Amen. All right, so you've seen the Darnell. Now, something to note about the weeds and the uh, wheat is you really can't identify which is which until the crop is fully grown, right? Then the wheat reveals itself. So we want to be careful there of, of these things. Oops, now, something else to notice about this parable. You notice how the servants wanted to be the weed police, did they not? Hey, they noticed the tares and they said, hey, should we cut them down? Do you know any Christians that like to cut other people down that aren't behaving correctly? No, come on, not Christians, right? Here's a parable of the kingdom. It's not your job. Say it's not my job. When you see somebody being a weed, don't cut them down. What are you supposed to do for them? Let them grow, right? Now, if you go back, we're not going to read it now, but there's another parable at the beginning of Matthew 13 where Jesus talks about there's four different soil types that you sow good seed into, right? along the wayside, and this is talking about how humans are converted and the things that go on in the heart, things that choke out the word, things that let the word grow, right? Read that, and it's going to tell you how to get somebody from weeds to wheat. But as far as we're concerned, that's our only job. Your job is not to cut other people down, not with your tongue, not with your thoughts. Who knows who they will be, amen? Could you imagine if somebody discouraged you from the faith? I mean, I know good people that have walked away from the faith because of the behavior of other Christians. Because of thoughtless, insensitive remarks, rookie Christians who think they're handling the word of God with accuracy, their theology is for clowns, and they tear people down. It makes me so angry when I see these stories of people, Christians, good people, hurting other people. Amen? This is amateur hour. And how did Jesus, what did Jesus say about it? Who did Jesus eat with when he showed up on the earth? The tax collectors, the sinners, the destitute, the poor, the broken. He didn't come to dine with the rich people. He didn't come and hang out with Caesar, right? Did Jesus show up on the earth and walk right up to the capital of Rome, right? Roll in there, said, hey, I'm the king, and I'm the real king. Let me have an audience with the Most High. What did he do? 
rolled out on the lake and called some dirty fishermen, right? The dirty dozen, tax collectors, right? He called, he called everyday people. Did he judge them for their sins? The woman that was caught in the issue of adultery, they caught her in the physical act. This was not hearsay. They set this woman up and they drug her to his feet. Jesus, he ripped her good, right? Told her how wicked she was, right? What do you do? Go and sin no more. How dare you or I tear anybody else down for the things they do, they say, they think. This is not an attitude of the kingdom. This is an attitude of the old creation. Amen? Because we live in an era of, um, because we do not live in the era of separating wheat and tares, we are to grow wheat. Remember that. Grow wheat. So how does Jesus grow wheat? He proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. Amen? And he lives the gospel. So here's a question. How do we respond to evil then as a follower of Jesus? This is the whole crux of the message. What, why I wanted to preach this so bad is because we see, if anything, we've seen the hand of the wicked one at work for a long time now, right? Jesus healed sicknesses and disease. What do all we see now? Sickness and disease, right? Do we see more commonality or do we see more division in the world happening? More division, right? This is the enemy's playbook. He comes to divide. God says, I hate those who sow discord among the brethren. And we're watching tons of good men and women get swept away in division. Amen? Along political lines, racial lines, theological lines. You name it. The enemy's hand, he's overplayed his hand. And I had in my heart to preach this message is because you have not learned this in the kingdom of God. Amen? We have not learned this. So as a follower of Jesus, we do see the evil. And it doesn't mean you're silent. Right? But we have to respond then in a way that behooves and represents the kingdom. Now go back and listen to the last two weeks. Trace has talked about this. But the first way is we do not respond with violence and revenge. The old world, the old world way of dealing with something is you duke it out, you fight it. An ear for an ear, an eye for an eye. Right? Listen, if Satan can trick you into getting in the flesh physically, either with your words, with your fists, your guns, your knives... You're fighting the old way. You're fighting in the old world. Who's the God of that world? Who has the upper hand? If you fight through loving your enemies, if through praying for your enemies, through being broken for your enemies, who has the upper hand? The kingdom. You've submitted to a different kind of king. The old man wants to argue, to fight, to lash out, to backbite. And Jesus says, if they strike you, turn the other cheek. That's not a wuss. We talked about this in our Bible study on Friday night. It takes a real person not to fight back. If somebody walked up and punched you in the face right now, what is your knee-jerk reaction? It's go time, especially with the Church of Marines. I feel sorry for the guy that walks in here and punches someone in the face. Now, this is not saying that if you get mugged in an alley, God says give him your wallet and get beat up. That's not the point. He's talking about when people actually oppose like who you really are, your moral being, right? They offend your deep sensibilities. He's not talking about you in a street fight. We could use the examples of protests, right? I, I, again, don't read into this any political ideology, please. That's not the point of this. But when we burn things down and we trash things, versus if you look back to like Martin Luther King Jr. where things aren't being destroyed, right? There's a God way where it says, look, I'm not here to fight on your terms. Satan wants to turn this into a brawl. He wants people to be killed. He wants, this is what he wants. And, and Christians, we get so global because this is, we want to fight it that way. But we're in a spiritual battle for our soul, for our church, for our nation. 
And be, we need to fight spiritually. And the way to fight spiritually is to pray. Trace taught on us beautifully. Right? Pray, please, please. Have you really done this? Have you prayed for those that have really opposed you? Right? And not just in lip service. Yeah, Lord, I pray for them. No, have you really wept for them and asked God to turn them from, wheat, uh, from weeds to wheat? Two, number two, we love our enemies. How do you love them? You do things for them. You're a servant to them. You go out of the way for them. Number three, we pray for those who oppose us. So no violence. We love and we pray. Now, this does not mean that God is not doing anything about evil in this world. Amen? Amen. Now, he's actually set up institutions to deal with evil. It doesn't mean they do it, but I'm going to tell you what they are. Some of you might know what these are, but I'll, I'll read it to you. This is in Romans 13, 1 through 7. It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Uh-oh. For there is no authority except from God, and let the authorities that exist uh, that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. You hear that? That government should be a terror to evil. I'm not saying they do, but they should. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, and an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, and they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor whom to honor. Now, Paul is writing this to the Romans from Rome, about to be killed by the Romans for doing absolutely nothing. Do you think the Romans had a corrupt government? And yet, he has the audacity to say, obey the government. So, 2,000 years later, and you and I are sitting, I don't know if you think the government's corrupt or not. Let's, again, let's not bring politics into this. But whose job is it to fight evil on this earth? God says, look, I've set up human institutions, governments, to do this. To be a terror, it says, to evil, right? To chase these things down. So we're not to tear the weeds down. We're to grow wheat. The Bible says we're not to hunt our enemies down. We're to love them and we're to pray for them. And then who's going after those who perpetrate evil in God's kingdom? The authorities, right? Now, we have a problem because of our broken world. What's one of the number one areas Satan attacks? Governments, right? It's no wonder, right? Because God sets us up where they should be the ones. We find ourselves where the government is the one oppressing the people. The government is the one persecuting the people. The government is the one that is shutting down the good. We know of nations where you can't have a church because of why? The government. Now, luckily, the Bible says that God, not only does he judge individuals, but he judges the nations, and he judges the governments. There will be a day of reckoning, my friends. But we are not the ones to bring about the day of reckoning. Amen? It's God who brings about this. But here's my closing thought. We're out of time. I want you this week to think hard about the kingdom you live in. Do you live more in the kingdom of the enemy or the kingdom of God? What does that reality look like to you? Have you been living your life as a son of which kingdom? A son or daughter? Does your behavior reflect the morals and values of the king who died for you? Or do your morals and values and actions and words reflect the old king you used to serve in your flesh? 
evaluate everything you do. Have you been tearing out the weeds? Have you been chopping them down instead of trying to grow wheat? Are you advancing the kingdom by your actions and your attitudes? Lastly, when's the last time you stopped and prayed? Not just for you and yours. Your prayer time should be dominated for those that revile you and persecute you. Those that you know openly are hostile to your way of thinking and being. When's the last time you really prayed for your government officials? Regardless if there's an R or a D behind their name. God doesn't care. You notice Paul didn't say if your side is in office. You should be praying all the more if your side is not in office. Right? The more you see things going away, the more it should drive you to your knees. Not in fear and disbelief, but in prayer. Amen? Because God says he's active in this. This is the gospel he proclaimed. We don't serve a weak God. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. When you do this, you're bringing about the kingdom. When you serve the old way, you're fighting against the kingdom you say you serve. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word. Father, as an elder over this congregation, Lord God, let me be the first to repent, Father God, because I am guilty of everything I just preached of, Father God. I've torn people down with my mind, with my mouth. Father God, I've judged people recently, Father God. You've opened my eyes to the way I have not been behaving as a son of the kingdom. And I have not been an example to the flock in all my dealings. Father, for that I repent. Father, on behalf of this people, Lord, we repent. Church, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you search your heart right now? This is the perfect time to repent. If you've done perfectly and behaved perfectly, by all means, then pray. Pray for your enemies right now. Pray for this nation. Do your part to grow the wheat. Father, you hear these cries coming to you right now. We know that we do these things, Father. Your word is steadfast and true that you will do it. So we thank you for the sweet forgiveness we have right now. Lord, we bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, the church said, Amen. 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 Thank you.